Hey everyone, welcome to our podcast, Frontier Faith. Uh, Today is the third part of our conversation around salvation, and we're really excited to bring this to you. We've learned a lot just by doing this podcast, uh, and we hope to share that with you. And we also hope to hear from you. If you have any thoughts around anything we talk about, please please email us at FrontierFaithPodcast at gmail.com. At the end of our conversation today on salvation, we're going to add something that's a little different. Uh, two episodes ago, we did something like this, and we're going to be reacting to a Facebook post that we saw by an influential Christian. And our intent here is to show what we think it means to live on the frontier. What does it mean practically to live with this theology? Because there is the topic itself, the way in which we talk about theology. There's also the way we live it out and the way that we see things. And so we wanted to give an idea of what that was during a very chaotic and challenging time right now. And so please stick around for the end to hear that and look forward to other things. We're experimenting with this last section. If you have, again, ideas here, you can email us and let us know what you would like to hear at the end, how you would like to hear us talk about things, and uh, we will happily try them because we're experimenting. We're still new at this whole thing, and we thank you so much for listening. Well, without further ado, here is our conversation on salvation. So as you can tell, we are not very far along the path of uh, the way forward when it comes to salvation. We are still very much in the midst of this frontier, uh, probably more so than other topics. But this is one that is so crucial to our understanding of what we were brought up in. And uh, it's just taking us a long time to really figure out what we want and where we need to go. But I want to go back to something that Ryan said, and maybe, Ryan, you could expound on this a little bit more or just simply restate it, which is when I asked you, what do you want from this? You talked about um, the hope that you have, the hope of what this could look like. Yeah. um, You know, I think my hope with with all of this is that the experience of a relationship with God would not be one primarily based on fear that um, Christians wouldn't go through their lives spending most of the time wondering or hoping or convincing themselves that, yes, God really does love me enough that I'll be okay. Now, I understand that not everybody in the world has that reaction, right? But I also know that Nate and I in our different ways are not the only ones. And I guess my hope would be that instead of fear or even duty or guilt or whatever word you want to use there being the primary motivator for a relationship with God, I I wish that it would be more of one of love. And, you know, as Nate and I were talking about this beforehand, I was like, you know, I'm still trying to figure out what that would look like. I It's one thing to say, you know, you're with your boyfriend or girlfriend or husband or wife or whatever, and they love you and they do certain things and and you can tell. But I'm not saying God doesn't do things in in our lives, but 
like personally, I'm still trying to figure out what does it look like? What does it feel like? What is the experience of God's love really like? Um, and that would look different for different people, I imagine, too. But just really wanting to explore that idea of how do we make our relationship with God one primarily understood and experienced through love instead of anything else. And like I said, that's uh, that's the question right now. That's the the where we're where I'm exploring. So one of the things that I say, and I'm curious how this meets you, how you how you hear this, and how you think about this. If you were to hear you hear me say it, but if you were to hear a pastor or someone else that you know say that God loves you no matter what you have done, what you are doing, and what you will do, that God loves you no matter what has happened is happening or will happen. How does that strike you? I think that strikes me because, I mean, I heard that too, right? That was always the beginning of the salvation prayer pitch, right? Um, or at least somewhere in the middle. And and like I, like I was talking about earlier, like I believe that in my mind. Uh, theologically, I believe that. Sometimes I feel like I can experience and accept it but that's still very hard for me to do. So I think that's how that strikes me is that, yes, I I think that's true, but it's still a struggle sometimes to really not just accept, but to really live in a way that like to live in God's love that way, or to live in that kind of grace and forgiveness. um, That's something I'm still trying to figure out how to do. Does it strike you as uh so you say you've heard that uh, generally. Um, is that if if that is what you've heard, is that what you hope for? Or do you hope for something different or something more, or do you just hope to discover what that really means for you? Yeah, I think I think that's one of those things that is like the quote unquote correct answer that sounds very good, and I think, like I said, is true. But I have no idea what it actually is like the the uh not just like i said not just the intellectual assent or agreement with that idea but what does it feel like to go through life actually believing that in a sense that you don't wonder all the time yeah but what if i'm wrong about x y or z or what if i've done this too many times or like what does maybe maybe part of it is that love uh, the love of God might involve a fair amount of that actual, actually being certain <laughs> that I don't know mm. that I ever really have been before. Okay. Certain, not in the intellectual scent way, but certain in a different way, right? Well, I think partly in the intellectual way, because some of this very much is I can't believe it in my head either. But I think more than that, what does it, what does that kind of faith I don't want to just say feel like because that's a little too simplistic also, but what is it like to live in that kind of faith? That's that's what I want to explore. That's what I'm trying to explore with God right now of of um a faith that really does trust all of these things we say we believe about God. And I don't say that in a way to be like, "Oh, I'm so terrible because I don't trust that yet," right? That would be what Ryan from 10 years ago would say. <laughs> yeah. Um it's more of like okay, this is where I'm at and and I see in the distance somewhere some you know how like when you're far away from things you can't really tell what they are but you can tell there's something there. 
Yeah. That's kind of how it feels to me right now. There is something there along this road, but I don't know exactly what it looks like yet. What I started to discover for myself is that as I found myself away from that narrative of love is forgiveness, I actually started to believe that I was forgiven. It was something that I didn't quite know was happening, um, but I, I started to not pay attention to much of that story as much as I used to, certainly. And I started to just not hear it, either because it wasn't being said or because I just stopped listening whenever it was being said, that I started to really focus on things beyond forgiveness. I love that phrase that you say. Hey, have you heard that there's more to the Bible? That's not how you say it. <laughs> yeah, that's basically um, what I said. Yeah. Doesn't God do anything else for us besides forgive us? Yeah. And when I, another way to say that is if I were to be certain of anything, I was certain that I was forgiven. But then I realized pretty quickly that forgiveness doesn't solve all the problems that I have. Uh, and I, I wonder if part of what we were taught was to focus on forgiveness so at least we can control that. There's that power and control um, because, you know, there's a great deal of anxiety if you solve the forgiveness problem and then you actually have to start living life. <laughs> that well, becomes really anxious, right? Yeah, and I don't want to derail you here, but I'd just say really quickly, I think for us it, it was that way because there, now your eternal destination is secure and set, so this life is, is only sort of important anyways. Now you know that when you die, you'll be in heaven with Jesus, so you're good is kind of the mindset that yeah. I happened. Yeah, we didn't have that as much, and that's not where I am now, um, because I think what that does is that trivializes your actions. It says that your actions are only about your salvation, and that is clearly not what it is. And so I think I I started to move in two directions at the same time. You didn't derail me, actually helped me. Um, two directions at the same time. One was to really know that I was forgiven, and, and not in an intellectual way, but in a core way. Feel, know, you know, these words are limiting, but just completely and fully uh, appreciate that. Of course, I don't all the time, but um, the other one was to realize that my actions actually play more of a role in my relationship with other people than they do with God. Uh, we do this thing in Lutheranism, I'm sure it happens elsewhere, but where we'll use David, who says, I have sinned against you only, to then transcend all sins to our relationship with God and take them out of our relationship with other people. Interesting. Uh, And it's not as clear as that, right? So most Lutheran pastors will say, well, no, your sins are... But in terms of privilege of place, it's one of those things I said early on. How about we stop talking about doing something after we figure out one thing? Because we never figure out that one thing to get on doing it. So, for instance, how about we stop talking about loving our neighbors because after we love God? Because we never really get to loving God fully and completely. And so we're all stuck on loving God, forgiveness, holiness, all that kind of stuff, instead of the other other side of it. 
And so what I started to do is I just started to pay attention to, you know, what I'm doing to other people is, to use a very vague term, it's not very nice. <laughs> and I need to get better at that because I'm hurting people. I'm doing this thing that comes up often where we're being violent towards people through my words and my actions by just causing hurt. I'm not abusive, but I don't think I am. Um, but I started to put more weight on my actions, which is kind of ironic. So doing that at the same time as believing forgiveness a bit more intensively, and that started to shift my idea of salvation and love. Well, and I wonder too, you mentioned the, um, this idea that, you know, we have to love God, then we love our neighbor. And, and I wonder if loving our neighbor is one of the ways, notice I said one of the ways, because I don't want to put us right back into that same legalistic system we were talking about, but might it be that when we love our neighbors, that's one of the ways we show our love for God, you know? Um, so, or whatever it is you're talking about, but, um, I think you're right. That's maybe as strange as this is going to sound, maybe we often have our priorities out of order here. I don't know. It sounds strange in that example, but I think maybe what it is is rethinking some of these things we've taken as givens, you know, as, um, and be like, well, wait, so what does that really mean? Like, you know, like that's kind of what we're talking about here is what does that look like? Yeah, for me, so one of the words that I've been dealing with is grace. What is grace? I, I've kind of made the case that um, I experienced grace, even though we didn't say it like this, as primarily forgiveness, if not only forgiveness. And of course, love is the same way. However, what I'm starting to live with is that grace is more akin to release. Grace is not necessarily only forgiveness or primarily forgiveness, but release. Release from our sins, release from the oppression of sin altogether, release from all of that in order to then be able to do what we want to do in terms of our priorities and love our wife, our kids, our spouse, well, not just wife, spouse, our kids, our neighbors, our friends, and so on and so forth. Yeah, it's a lot to think about. You know, I think just like it was, we had to grapple a little bit with what um, what did we get from this stuff that was beneficial. I think this part of what we're talking about now is going to require a lot more grappling, you know, and and maybe that's my other hope is that it becomes not just acceptable, but it becomes desired, like that there are communities and spaces where these kinds of things can be grappled with even, and maybe especially in places where grappling with it requires us to grapple with something we thought was settled a very, very long time ago, you know? Um, yeah. You know, I think for me, the the Bible story that comes up so much for me these days, and I hate it, but I really like it, is the one of Jacob, right? Where Jacob wrestles with the man who um, seems to be God, right? So Jacob wrestles with God. And I mean, that does not sound like it was a very pleasant experience during it. (laughs) I wouldn't think. I've never wrestled with God physically, you know? Um, although I might have in some other ways, but uh, you're not quite the asshole, Jacob. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope not. That's true. <laughs> but even so, 
like the end of that was, yeah, Jacob was hurt, but Jacob was also totally different, changed and yeah. new name and all that stuff, you know? And so I think as much as part of me wishes that story were not in there because I don't like the idea of wrestling or grappling with God, um, there's also something about Jacob's insistence that he's not giving up until God touches him, you know? And I, yeah. I, I, I guess my other hope is that we'd all have that kind of dogged persistence, um, even if it requires a wrestling match. Well, and what's really neat when striking me in our conversations here is that you couldn't have been there. I mean, you said even six months ago, mm-hmm. um, because the freedom to be able to actually wrestle with God wasn't something that was encouraged. No. Well, I mean, given. no, I mean, I don't know if anyone ever phrased it to me exactly this way, but at least what I always was afraid of is like, well, you know, I don't want to be a liberal quote unquote, because yeah. then anything goes and then you don't believe in the Bible and all these things that don't actually follow any of that. Right. Yeah. But right. it was this, this, this idea, this fallacy of the slippery slope, right? So if I start asking questions about the Bible, then I don't believe in Jesus anymore. Well, if I ask questions about salvation. Again. It's exactly, it's the same kind of fear. And I think that that's the part that, um, that's the part that we've really been working on moving away from with all of this, you know? So let's ask it a different way. I want to, I just want to do this. I don't know if it's going to make it in, but I'm curious how you would respond to this question. Are you still saved? I'm starting to realize that as much as I have not liked this process that we're talking through right now, you know, with all of this, it's also starting to feel more liberating or maybe even exciting sometimes. Um, like there's more hope in it now than there was at the beginning of all of this or through a lot of these things. And I think the fact that I have that some more of that hope and everything shows me that, you know, maybe God, like, I think that God is in this with me. Um, and you know, I have doubts a lot on that, but I think just cause I'm me, (laughs) (laughs) And because of all the stuff we've been talking about in all these episodes, you know, but it doesn't feel like these kind of things we're talking about going through decisions we're making, whatever it is, like they don't feel like I'm on my way to hell for them. They just feel like God's leading me somewhere different. Oh, okay. If I were to put that in different words, I would say the way you answer that question, are you still saved? Is yes. And if I were to say why, you would say, because I believe it. Because I believe it and because I've experienced things that confirm those beliefs. You know that's a big thing for me, right? Yeah. It seems yeah. to happen for me a lot. And I don't know that I always need it, but man, it never hurts. <laughs> you know, but like uh-huh. I, I think about like the church I ended up at. I think about us doing something like this. I think about the job I'm in when I'd never even conceived. I didn't even really know hospice was a thing outside of the hospital. You know, I just didn't really know about it. And yet through all these, um, these experiences, I'm, I'm doing this thing, which feels like it's actually life giving when I was told all this time that it was going to lead to destruction. (laughs) And so it just has felt more like confirmation for me that, that God is in this with me. Um, even if it doesn't always feel like it. 
you know what I see in that, in addition to that, because that's your expression of it. I don't want to devalue that. What I see is I see a tremendous amount of trust, um, healthy trust. It's the trust that says, God, I don't know, and not, but I don't know what else to do, because right. that's fatalism, and that's not good. Um, but it, it's, I don't know, and yet, mm-hmm. I still follow God, and I still hope for a better theology, a better understanding of that faith, a better appreciation for what love really is. I hope that I can come to a place where I feel that, experience that, know that. That's what it sounds like to me. Yeah, and I guess I'm enough of an ex- of a, an existentialist to say that it's gonna be. It may be for my whole life. You know, I don't know if that journey is ever totally finished. Um, but uh, just like you know, sanctification is a progressive. I mean, it it progresses over time. Not that it's necessarily progressive in the political sense, but that it that it's it's a process is what I'm looking for. You know, yeah. I think our lives and relationship with God. I think for both of us, it sounds like what we experienced was, okay, you're saved. Now you're done, right? I mean, right. yeah, you got to live the right way and all this, but the the hard, like the important thing is finished. It's accomplished. In my case, okay, you're, you're on your way to heaven. You're good. In your case, okay, you're forgiven of your sins. So God loves you. You're good. But I think what I'm starting to see is like, even if that is the quote unquote first step, the way they put it that way, just like I said to that guy is like, yeah, but what else does God do for us? And it turns yeah. out the answer is a lot. Just trying to yeah. figure out what those other things are still, you know? Yeah, I like that. So, I mean, I guess that's kind of where I'm at, at least as much as I can explain right now. So where does all this leave you, Nate? Yeah, one of the big things that in terms of thinking through ideas, because it's always where I start, I started with, I mentioned this in the Bible podcast, actually, that there was a philosopher that talked about Paul in a really interesting and dynamic way that made me really start to think. And of course, it's very complicated and complex. There's what I was thinking about when it comes to the Bible is that, hey, this guy who's actually a Jew doesn't really care about Jesus too much other than this is kind of interesting. And yet he's finding something in Paul that just blows my mind. Um, for today, what it was, was this notion of grace. For Jacques Derrida, he talks about the notion of the gift. And he talks about how a gift really works. And I'm going to do a terrible job, but I want to be as brief as I can. Basically, the gift works in normal, conventional way of doing things. Is There's a giver who gives a gift to someone else. And there's so many things that are intricate intricately connected within that such as you know there has to be a receipt a recognition of receipt there has to be uh, a thanks from the the one who's been given and then on the other side there has to be the goodness and so forth of the giver and of course there has to be a gift so there's all these things that are within the mix of this and this philosopher again i'm going to butcher it but i'm just being quick here for the sake of time he jacques derrida he said that the gift, the pure gift or the true gift is one that cannot be received 
that cannot even really be given, but nonetheless is something that is given, is given. It's the gift. And as I was thinking about this in terms of our conversation of salvation, that's where the transactional piece really came in because Here's how Lutheran theology or Lutheran worship works. Not only do you have the confession and absolution, um, but then let's say you have an actual gift, which Lutherans believe the sacrament of Lord's Supper or Holy Communion is a gift. Well, you have to go up, first of all, and be worthy of that gift. So you have to be contrite. You have to confess your sins. I hope you're getting the theme of that. Um, and then afterwards, what do you have to do? Well, liturgically, what you have to do is you have to thank God. In fact, most liturgies, you thank God in song first, and then there's a prayer of thanks right afterwards. And the very first thing I did as a pastor is like, why are we thanking him twice? Let's cut out one of them. I know it's simplistic, but <laughs> we don't need to thank God twice <laughs> for the same thing, um, liturgically speaking. But then I started to just question that. I started to wonder, do we really need to? Do we need to thank God? Because, you know, thanking a human recognizes that the human is showing that they care and all that. And there's that part of it when it comes to God, too. But when it came to grace, it started to open my understanding, or at least the possibility of my understanding, the way I think about gift as being transactional uh, in a cultural way, which is what this is, that started to erode that started to go away. And I started to cling to this idea that forgiveness, that grace is given to me no matter what, that I have it, even if I don't receive it, even if I don't thank God, God doesn't need my thanks in order for the gift to, to be real and for, in order for love and grace to be real. Um, and that's kind of where I, arrested. That's where I am right now, at least. And and that's more of a foundational philosophical understanding, but did that make sense? Yeah, I mean, that made sense. I, I think it's recognizing, like you're, you're talking about that economy we were talking about earlier, this, the yeah. transaction thing, and that's saying that economy. basically, like, there is no way that I could ever, I mean, yes, we, sh we should be thankful to God, right? But we never could thank God enough for the gift that is being given to us, whether it's in the sacraments or whatever it is. Right. Um, and so I yeah. think it's just a recognition that the gift is, and the gift is given to us. And maybe that's where the, that's where the period goes. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. Well, and I think what I'm trying to say, and that was very helpful. I think what I'm trying to say is that, all this stuff we do around the gift is actually, at best, detached from the gift. It's not necessary for it. So I don't need to be contrite. I don't need to repent in order to be forgiven. And I don't need to thank God in order for that forgiveness to really stick or that love to really be there, or whatever, however you want to say that. Um, so it's at best detached from that and... Or maybe at worst, I don't know, best worst might be at least, at least detached from that. And at most, maybe completely unnecessary for all that. Or, or maybe I'm just thinking as you're saying this here, maybe it's that these other things like Thanksgiving or whatever it is, I think that we've made them central to this 
process or to this gift or this experience, maybe is a better word, when maybe they're peripheral instead. Like, it's not that there's no place for Thanksgiving. It's not that there's no place for any of that. There is. We should be thankful. Like, we are thankful, right? I mean, how could you not be thankful if you are receive this mystery or this gift of salvation? But it's not required for the gift to be or for the gift to be given, right? It's just... We've almost replaced the gift with the economy. That's Mm -hmm. fascinating. That's what you said. I think we have in a lot of ways. And so it's no wonder why it'd be so hard to move away from that, because if we've been taught that the economy is the gift instead of helps us honor the gift, then of course we're not going to know what to do. Well, I mean, we're taught that way from when we were kids, right? As soon as you're old enough, you get a gift at Christmas or whatever. And what does your parent, when you're four or five, what do your parents immediately say that you say to grandma or whoever? Now tell them your thank, you know, thank you for that. Even if you don't like it. Right. (laughs) Yeah. So we're conditioned to look at gifts that way from the very beginning. And yet we're, it's almost like, or maybe it is like we've treated this gift of God. Um, I mean, gift of God's very self to us, whether that's through sacraments or the spirit or whatever it is, we've treated that like, um, like it's a common human gift when it's mm. not, you know, you can't wrap up that gift in a package, <laughs> right? It just, it's not possible. And we've tried our best because we don't understand gifts that don't have wrapping paper and bows and ribbons and or whatever else that fits within the, the metaphor until it doesn't work anymore. But greeting cards and yeah, exactly. So. Coloring markers. No. Um, yeah. So the, the really negative side of me wonders then it's like, so why have we done that? Have we done that in order to make it so that the economy, I think that fits really well onto the power and control explanation or deconstruction that we did. Right. So, we can't control the gift. That's the whole thing that Derrida is talking about. That's why the economy, when it comes to the gift, is not necessary. And, and you know, again, I'm butchering that. But so that it's not something controllable and it's not something that is definable really for him. And he's getting very abstract when he goes there. Um, he says, you know, it's not within this economy. And so I wonder if that's the goodness that comes from this is that if we get get away from or get rid of the economy, then yes, we lose that power and control. But then as a result, the gift becomes more than what we could possibly imagine it could be. Right, right. And yeah, I, you know, as we're talking about this, I'm thinking about how past Ryan would have responded to this, and in some ways did when we were reading this in that class we took, you know? Uh-huh. I'm like, so wait, 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 wait a minute. So that means we don't have to repent, and we don't have to be forgiven, and we can do whatever in all these things. And what I what I now say to past Ryan, and maybe other people who are asking those same questions, it's like, just hold on, right? Hold just on. Slow down a little bit. You, there is a time when maybe those questions can be asked, but right now, why don't we just like take a while and meditate or really focus on this gift that we're talking about? This, 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 um, let's just stay there for a while. Let's just sit in that and see what God shows us. And we can still go those other places at some point, you know, at some point in our lives, we'll want to know, uh, what role these things have in our lives. But I think 
because we're maybe it's a Protestant thing. I don't know, but we're so conditioned to figure out all the ramifications of everything right away that we miss um, we miss the gift that's in front of us. You know, could it be that it's because, and you know, we don't want to get into intentions, but could it be because that the fear is still there? Oh, sure. That we want to find out the answer to that. I mean, that's how I reacted to all this stuff initially of like, well, if that's true, then I guess, you know, none of the rest of this stuff in the <laughs> yeah. Bible matters anymore. And it's like, well, <laughs> it doesn't, one doesn't necessarily follow the other. It's just maybe it's that some of these things maybe look different than I thought before. And couldn't we explore that rather than just dismissing this new thing out of hand because it makes us question some of these things we hadn't before, you know? Um, yeah. 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 So I want to do something we haven't done so far. I just want to give the book recommendation. Derrida is a hard man to read, a very, very hard reading. But if anybody's yeah, really interested, if anybody's <laughs> really interested in it, if you're like me and you're listening to me, you're like, hey, he thinks a lot like me. Uh, first of all, I'm sorry. <laughs> but second of all, um, the, the book is called Given Time by Jacques Derrida. It's actually a couple of uh, essays. And uh, he proposes in that, this is Amazon, and I think it's just spot on, that for the gift to be received as gift, it must not appear as such, since its mere appearance as a gift puts it in the cycle of repairment and debt. Hmm. And we don't have really the time or the no knowledge to really discuss that this time. Um, but it is something interesting when it comes to what salvation could be. What if it was not a gift in the way that we think about gifts? Um, yeah. And, and if, we've kind of, if you're in, go ahead. No, go ahead. I say, if you're interested in this kind of stuff, I think that that is the best place to kind of jump into to his thought. And I would just say, don't feel bad if you read it and go, what the hell is he talking about? Because I still do that with a lot of his <laughs> stuff. And it's it's almost more of something to be the first time you go through it. It's more of something to be experienced, <laughs> maybe. Yeah. And yeah. then then you go back and talk about it and kind of maybe pull it apart or whatever you want to do. But like, um, it's OK if it don't make sense, because you know, I saw, <laughs> we should probably be done soon, but I saw a documentary on him one time and it was with his family and his brother was talking about, yeah, we've gone to some of his like lectures and stuff and we don't have a <laughs> clue what he's talking about ever. You know, <laughs> so it's like, it's okay if you don't get all of it because yeah. it's fine. Yeah. And not everybody's like me where I was telling my congregation because they were asking how my dissertation was going. And some people were asking, I said, I got into this book. It's only 100 pages long and it's taken me six weeks to read it. And I just love it. And they're like, <laughs> what are you talking about? Like, well, I got to read it over and over and over again because it's so dense. And they're like, you like that kind of stuff? And I'm like, yes. I love that kind of See, stuff. Nate likes that kind of stuff. I do not enjoy that kind of stuff. I just, you <laughs> got to do it sometimes because like, for example, this guy's worth it, but it's oh, tough, yes. you know? Yeah. So, so that's, uh, that's kind of where I think we do need to end. I think we should end there too, because as we've talked about, it kind of exhausts where we are. Uh, we have these ideas and we have these hopes. Uh, me on the idea side, I'm on the hope side too, but Ryan expressed it through hopes and experiences more. And we just don't know where we're going to go. And 
once again, I've got to reiterate, that is what this frontier is. Our tagline, once again, is, it's okay not to know. And although we're not comfortable with not knowing all the time, uh, it's just we're learning to develop that. We're learning to fill that time of the not knowing with as much patience, as much peace, as much grace as possible. And so if you're here too, if you're like, hey, I've noticed some of these things that they're talking about, but I don't know where to go, then um, at least for the sake of both Ryan and I, you're in good company or at least in the company that would be good with us. Yeah. And and just, you know, like we were just talking about, like, give yourself permission to slow down um, and really sit with some things that... uh you don't like, you know, that make you uncomfortable, that you don't understand. And, you know, answers will come, but they may not right away. And, you know, in my life, in this process, I've noticed I've only really put the answers together for some of these things when I put like when I looked back over the last few years and said, oh, that's how God was working. And I couldn't see it at the time, you know. Um, So go easy on yourself. (laughs) And (laughs) Maybe just to kind of end this where we started, like, don't let fear of something different or fear of something new or fear of the dark or whatever it is rob you from what God is doing in your life. So we really want to thank you for listening. We hope that this has been helpful. um, And we hope that you can continue living in this frontier with us. As we move forward, we're going to be talking about more Uh, So please listen to either our previous episodes or our future ones, depending on where you are. And uh, we look forward to continuing in this frontier with you because it is easy to, or it's not easy. It's okay not to know. And finally, don't let fear win. Don't let it win. It won't win if you don't let it win. And as we have come to learn more than anything else, God is with us. God loves us. And we hope that you would bravely endeavor to venture into this frontier even more. Fear provokes this response within us that is best described as bravery when we say it's okay not to know, when we say it's okay God is still with us because we trust that he is with us. So let's venture further into this frontier together. We will see you next time, and we thank you for joining us. Someday we'll live as one family in the sweet harmony. We'll continue this conversation in the next episode, but right now we want to do what we did last episode and take the suggestion of a specific friend of mine. I didn't name him. I'm not going to give his full name, but Saul, if you're listening, thank you for the suggestion. Uh, Ryan and I have already had some frustration and fun at the same time about this uh, to talk about things that we've seen going on. And today we have a bit of a doozy and uh, I'll just leave it at that. 
we're going to talk about a post uh, by Franklin Graham. And the post came a couple weeks ago as Donald Trump went from the White House to St. John's for what I call a photo op. And we're going to talk about that a little bit today, but I think Ryan wanted to start by kind of sharing his feelings about Franklin so that way uh, you can hear that first uh, before we jump into it. Just just full disclosure, Franklin Graham is a tough one for me. He um, and a few other people in that same um, cohort, if you will. Uh, it's really tough when you're gay. They, they really don't like me, <laughs> you know, and so it's just really hard for me to react to things he says or does because in some ways I've become numb to it and I try to ignore him and in other ways he still has a lot of influence and does some things that need to be responded to you know so I just thought it would be fair to start off by saying that I recognize and admit that this person is very difficult for me and I'm not claiming to be objective here well, no one's claiming to be objective. If right, we don't believe in that, episodes, right? So. We don't believe that it's possible. So, <laughs> yeah, and it's always good to know our backgrounds. For me, my background is I really couldn't care less about Franklin Graham. I would I would love to not care less about Franklin Graham. That would be great. But unfortunately, <laughs> America is how it is. Well, Lutherans, we do have a, let's say, uh, an appreciation for Billy Graham, but we don't have an affinity with him necessarily. Um, some Christians, some Lutherans do, but by and large, Lutherans uh, kind of look at the Grams a lot differently than evangelicalism. So uh, I noticed this because uh, I was quite upset by seeing what Trump had done for lots of reasons, um, but primarily because of what it what it said to me about his use of the Bible as a prop, but. We'll get into that in just a second. I want to uh, just read from you a bit of his post. It's his post on June 3rd, uh, if you care to look it up. I mean, you probably shouldn't just because it's not worth it. But. It's not good for your heart. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, just in case you want to, it's one that he did uh, on June 3rd. And the, the middle paragraph says this, And I'm not offended that he held up the Bible. As a fact, matter of fact, I was encouraged. I appreciate it. I believe that God's word is the only hope for each individual and for our nation. The problem we are facing in this country is a spiritual and moral problem. Amen. New, new laws and more government giveaway programs are not the answer. It's a heart problem, and only God can change the human heart. We're going to get to the next one, but let's lead up to this, right? So, Ryan, what are your thoughts and that paragraph and the lead up of what Trump did to get to that paragraph where he held up the Bible? Yeah, I, um, hmm, wow. So, I'm not even sure entirely where to start. I think, honestly, I guess I'll just start here. What What bothers me more than what the current occupant of the White House did. I mean, it was terrible, right? You shouldn't be doing that. But as Nate and I were talking about this, I was telling him how much it upsets me that we live in a society or a time where some people, whoever it was, decided that this is what Christians wanted to see. Now, whether that was successful or not is a different thing. But like, they said, it doesn't matter if we're going to gas these peaceful protesters, which, by the way, Franklin left out that part. 
right? It, it doesn't matter if we're going to gas people. It doesn't matter if we're going to trample on the Constitution about, you know, free assembly and protest and all that stuff. Because what we want to do is show Christians that we love the Bible, right? Yeah. Again, kind of fell over themselves trying to do it. But like the, one of the things that upsets me the most is that they did that because they thought that it would gain them something. Yeah. And whether it worked or not, like I said, I'll leave to the political scientists, but I just like right there is horrifying enough. (laughs) Right. I don't know what you think about that. Well, I mean, I absolutely agree. I think that the whole stunt, as I would call it, and many have, uh, appalls me. It's why, why would you go about that? And I say why knowing that there's a reason, at least they have a reason why. Uh, I don't think it's a, good or logical reason, but they have a why to it. It just doesn't make sense to me. Why would you leave the White House after saying law and order and then go across the way to use uh, the church to demonstrate that you're the law and order uh, president or whatever, and you do so in the very violent ways that uh, Ryan just mentioned and that we're all familiar with? It's just Part of the thing of being on the frontier is noticing how religion is used, right? And in this case, we see Trump using it to be violent. Right. Yeah. And then he does it. And like, I mean, if you watch the video, like, it's like, it doesn't even know how to hold the thing. Yeah. Right. It's like, but again, I guess that's not really the issue. The issue for me, one of the biggest issues is that, well... Mr. Franklin is a great example here of like, he apparently saw something good in what happened here. Yeah. Right. He saw the current occupant of the White House or the attorney general or whoever did it order. I don't know if it was the police or the military or whoever it was to fire tear gas at people doing nothing bad just so the president could walk over there and wave a Bible around for a little bit. And Franklin continues with in his post. Uh, They have publicly to the media, these are, uh, quote unquote, the president's harshest critics, have publicly to the media criticized the president for walking to the church and for holding up the Bible. And that's exactly right. Walking to the church, uh, not just walking, right? As Ryan said, Franklin pretty much ignores how he got there. Bulldozing through some people in at least a figurative sense. And holding up the Bible as if it's a foreign object. Somebody actually said... uh, you know, what was funny about it is like he never even really held a book before. It wasn't just a right. Bible. It's like, huh, what is this thing I'm holding? I, I hold it like a, yeah. a claw machine. Is that what I do? Right. I mean, just hold, wave it at people like, you know. Yeah. Um, and here's where it really got to me. And this is why we're talking about it, at least why I brought this to Ryan and we're talking about it is the next words of what Franklin said. Just it floored me. He said, that's unbelievable. They should be thanking him rather than criticizing him. And so here's my issue. Who cares what the media thinks? I don't care. Uh, I mean, in, in this conversation, I couldn't care less. The problem is, is that a religious leader, perhaps one of the religious leaders in our country, was not only okay with what the president did, and walked across the walked across the White House lawn to 
St. John's in the midst of tear gas and violence, but he actually celebrated the fact that the president was using the Bible to say, I am doing what you want me to do. I am doing what is the Christian thing to do. Mm-hmm. It's almost like they're applauding him. Yes, do that. Do all of that. Use the Bible as a prop. Say that you are Christian, even though you have no clue even how to hold a Bible, let alone a book. And we will support you no matter what. Yeah, and I think I should also point out here that there's two places, both in the previous paragraph and this one, where he says he just has to slip these little digs in that, you know, the first one, it wasn't lost on me that he said that, you know, he had to mention government giveaway programs, Mm -hmm. which I think is a casually racist way to talk about welfare. I think that's I think that's what he's getting at there. It's also not lost on me that the clergy that were criticizing the president that he's so upset about them doing it. Well, the most prominent one was a woman. Okay. And let's just, it just can't be a coincidence that, that he's upset that they did that. Uh, I, I just, I'm sorry. I don't believe it. Like, and even regardless though, like he also leaves out the, the fact that the one of the clergy that was criticizing the president was actually tear gassed. Yeah. <laughs> you know, right. like to just kind of bring myself back in here. Uh, I think what's really, really difficult for me is he started off by saying, where was it? He said, he said the thing about the heart, right? Where does that happen? Oh, it's a heart problem and only God. So he said, he said, it's a heart problem and only God can change the human heart. And then he's going through all this stuff that, that like human beings are doing to try and like put themselves in the place of God, (laughs) you know, like this is just so pharisaical. That's, that's, what's really hard because like, if you think about the Pharisees in Jesus's time, He got really upset about them because they did everything, made it look right. They had all the right clothes and said all the right things. And at the same time, they totally missed what Jesus was doing. And here, Mr. Graham is talking about how the president did all these things that looked good to him somehow, right? He said, oh, it just encouraged me because I was really happy that he's, you know, showing the Bible around. And it's like, at the same time, you're missing the fact that he's doing it to hurt people. Yeah. Just like the Pharisees did. Right. Because what was really important was their power and influence, which, you know, I used to feel real weird about this, but I think I'm just going to say that Mr. Graham, I think, is guilty of doing the same thing. I agree. I can't see this other than, and we've talked about this already on our podcast, I can't see this as anything other than using power to gain power or influence or credibility or whatever it might be that Mr. Graham is trying to get. And keep power that you have. I agree 100%. And I just honestly don't even know what to do with that. I think what we can do is highlight where the frontier applies, right? We've talked about some of the things that are kind of challenging uh, and disgusting to Ryan and I, but here's why we're talking this way. Right. I, I found this post on Twitter. It was just fantastic. I'm not on Twitter. Somebody else shared it. I'm too old to be on Twitter. <laughs> uh, but I love this. It was great. The crisis is not that you are politically homeless Christians. The crisis is that you ever thought you could make a home in politics 
at all. Amen. Right? I mean, what did Jesus say over and over and over again? He said, my kingdom's not of this not world. Of this world. Yeah. Right. The disciples and everybody's like, Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Like code four, are you going to kick the Romans out and get us back in charge? And over and over again, Jesus said, nope, that's not what I'm here for. Right. I'm building my kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, which is not about the world. It's about people. And part of being on the frontier is noticing this on uh, both, quote unquote, sides. Right. So we see how people use politics to get what they want on the right, we see that a lot right now, but for a long while, as a conservative, when I was a conservative or identified myself that way, I don't identify myself on anywhere on that spectrum yet, um, but when I did identify myself, I saw that on the other side too. And we have to realize that that's true, that there's a difference between making sure certain things are going well in our country and making sure that people get equal rights and all that. But then there's also on the other side, there is using power within government to establish what you think needs to be established. And uh, there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. The problem that we highlight with Franklin here or Mr. Graham is that it just becomes very clear to us, Ryan and I, as we're listening and reading this, that this is a moment where we see it happening kind of unapologetically. Right. And, you know, I, I was thinking as you're talking, it's like, theoretically, our country is a representative democracy and you can, you know, we sh all of us advocate for what we want and how we think the country should work and what laws we think they right. should have. And I don't think certainly you or I are not telling people not no. to do that. The problem is when you use Jesus to do that, yes. right? Don't, don't do that. Stop it. <laughs> Whoever you are, don't use Jesus to try and change public policy. Change public policy in the way you're supposed to change public right. policy, right? It can like that's what that's what the problem. That's what I think the deeper problem is here is that Jesus never wanted that to be his relate that's not Jesus's relationship with government in his time or our time and through a lot of weird confluence of strange historical events that have led us to this point we threw that out the window a long time yeah. ago and i think that's deeply deeply problematic as always we don't want to tell you how to think about this how to react to this this is just two guys opinions about what's going on right now uh, sort of in our world. And we welcome your feedback. We want to know what you're thinking about this. Have you seen this post? Have you thought about anything around uh, Trump's display? I'm assuming you have seen it. Uh, please let us know what you think. Frontier Faith Podcast at gmail.com. We really are interested in hearing how you're processing this, especially if you're on the frontier. Because we recognize that our understanding of the frontier is just that. It's our understanding of it. There will be people who are on the frontier who will identify more as conservative and, and than we do. And I'd be very interested to know what you think of this. Let us know. Send us an email. We want to try as much as we can to begin a conversation with you about this. But as always, thank you for listening. And remember, it's okay not to know. It's okay not to know what you believe, why you believe it, even where you're going. Because what matters more is that you explore the frontier that you're on and that you feel and you know that it's okay to do that. 